Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. It's been, um, you know, it's funny how little I've thought about Penn State this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I real quick, before we even, get, before yeah. we even say any more, if yeah. I had posed you the question on... Like whenever we did the game preview for last week, like uh, Wednesday or Thursday, if I had said, "Bill, here are your choices: option one, Penn State wins, and that's it; option two, Penn State loses, but we find out <laughs> about all of this," which avenue would you have taken? I I would pick Penn State wins, just because. Okay, so I I think it's important to stress if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what we're at but nick and i are obviously talking about um the fact that the last two and a half years of michigan football are built on a thread of lies. uh the we'll 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 dive into uh what that means you know what screw we'll go in right now uh we're, we're going to get to the indiana preview a little bit later in this podcast uh but i think that on the heels of their being so many existential questions about Penn State football and James Franklin giving a really interesting and good answer to what we're about to talk about it's worth bringing this up and what we are mentioning is the fact that uh this all this week uh well last week allegations started to come out regarding a vast cheating uh, scandal network you want to say revolving around Michigan football where uh, a program volunteer turned low-level uh, recruiting analytics, I believe his job was, staffer uh, Connor Stallions was, he is alleged to have purchased tickets for himself and others to go to college football games across uh, the United States, largely involving opposing Big Ten teams, but as more and more evidence come out, we've learned that uh, teams that Penn State might have not Penn State, Michigan, uh, could have ended up playing in playoff games, also have been uh, caught up in this. Interestingly enough, of the top six teams in the first college football playoff poll last year, four of them got visits. One of them was Michigan, so it could not get a visit. And the sixth one, ironically enough, was TCU. And all this is coming as Michigan is ascended to be perhaps the best team in all of college football, coming off of back-to-back times winning the Big Ten for the first time in Jim Harbaugh's tenure in Ann Arbor, twelve and two season in uh, twenty twenty one. With this is alleged to have started a thirteen and one season last year, and now they are five and zero uh, up to this season. And Nick, I want to talk about this through the lens of a collection of comments that James Franklin gave. Well, first we'll, we'll do the really funny. We'll, we'll laugh about this before we get to the more serious part of this, which is uh, James Franklin and what he said in his press conference on Tuesday. Uh, this is all really funny, dude. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stop laughing. It's, I, I think um, good buddy Jason Priestess of 11 Warriors put it perfectly. Like, this is the perfect college mm-hmm. football scandal because nobody actually got hurt. Like, there's no, like, no children or people or anything like that. Like, the, the, no murder, like, nothing like that. Yeah. And it involves the most sanctimonious fan base out there. And it's just hysterical. It is it, and it's so also, good. It's also, a, it's actually about football. Yeah. It's not it's like. It's literally uh, just oh, about was, football. It's it's not money was given to a 17-year-old to come play uh, at your school. Yeah. It, it is legitimately, and this is where it starts, it actually is a serious thing. This is about the potential integrity of the game of football and the the competition aspect of all this being compromised by, like you said, the fan base that would hate <laughs> this being alleged about them the most. It's, yeah, it's the, and the one fan base that would make the biggest deal out of it if it was anybody else. It's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just perfect. It's, this has been just an incredibly hilarious week. Right, the number of Michigan fans that I have seen, like, look up, they're treating things in the NCAA rulebook like their legal precedence <laughs> is established by the Supreme Court, 
and that the NCA isn't an organization that kind of just does whatever it feels like. Yeah. Uh, on a given week, and we're, there's stuff coming out about like, well, obviously nothing's going to happen. Uh, this was was an argument that Brian Cook of M uh, of MGo Blog uh, ended up making, uh, which was Brian basically said, and I think that there would normally be a hair of truth to this. Michigan is a huge brand. The television networks actually run everything. We're going to be fine. What I think that and a lot of analysis here is so far ignored, Nick, is that yes, all that could be true. There are, and I'm going to swear for a moment. So if you listen to this around kids and don't want to put them away, there, every other Big Ten school and increasingly other big time college football programs who are under the purviews of these television networks are shit pissed at Michigan. For being Michigan and doing this. And I think this is a good way to lead into what James Franklin said. Uh, what James Franklin said, Nick, which he was asked about this earlier in the week. Uh, and he gave kind of the uh, boilerplate answer, which is, you know, I everyone, you know, everyone does this. You're disguising signals, blah, blah, blah. Like, we made changes, like, all these sorts of things. And then he gave a quote that is actually really interesting to me. What happens is you get to after games and you feel like you called a very unpredictable call in a certain situation and they're in the perfect defense for it. You're sitting there spot saying, well, how is that? What would ever make you play cover two on fourth and one and we're in the heavy personnel group, but they're in it and you have a shot called there. Those things kind of make you second guess and you kind of go back and look at those things and what you need to disguise it. If it happens once, that's one thing. But if it happens over and over, then you're aware of it. And what's so interesting me here to me, Nick, is I think you can make the really strong case that no coach has been more impacted by Michigan's resurgence over the last two years in a negative way than James Franklin. So for him to, I don't know about you, I read that and it seems very clear to me that he has been thinking about this, not just in the last week, but like this has been a thing that's popped into his head before, it seems to me. Yeah, that's the question of if anybody else has been affected more is interesting. Like, I'm sure Ohio State would try to make an argument, um, but then again, they also made the playoff last year, so it, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a bit different. Um, it's I hadn't really thought about that before. It's probably accurate. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's Well, that's well let's, let's just think of the last two weeks. What has been the narrative? It has been that James Franklin can't beat Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah. Before 2021, Penn State had won three of the last four games it had played against Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. Like, like that 2020 season, you know, kind of been lost of time. Michigan was two and four. <laughs> they ducked a whooping at the hands of Ohio State by saying they had a COVID outbreak that yeah. kept them from playing in that football game. And in the aftermath, Michigan had, Michigan and Jim Harbaugh, quote unquote, agreed to a restructured contract which made it a lot easier for Michigan to fire Harbaugh after one year. And ever since then, they have turned into this juggernaut and passed Penn State in the Big Ten, gotten to the place that Penn State hasn't been able to go and has been wanting to go. And now we're sitting, you know, we've spent the last, again, two weeks having this existential crisis of like, will Penn State ever be able to get to the big boys when we're one year on the heels of the Big Ten champion and the team that finished right behind them both made it to the playoff. If Michigan isn't that last year, Penn State is the team that finished right behind them. Penn State would have had or could have had a very reasonable claim to a berth in the college football playoff. And instead, we're here, Nick, like talking about all this instead. And unless you have any other Penn State thoughts on this, let's uh, just real quick. We'll do this before we get back into the Penn State portion of the program. You think Michigan is screwed here? I I don't know. Um, this is the one thing that I'm... I, I... Just because, like, we know we know nothing's going to come from the NCAA here. Um, yes. This year, at least. It's just, it, it's not going to move quickly enough. Maybe next year. Um, and by then, you know, Harbaugh, if he knows what's good for him, he's gone anyway. Yeah. The only thing, I mean, the Big Ten, the only thing that makes me think that the Big Ten could theoretically step in and say, I don't know, keep them out of the Big Ten championship, something like that, would be that, you know, new commissioner that typically kind of puts you in a role where you kind of want to do something I think like I think if it was somebody who had been here for a while like if it was still Kevin Warren I think he'd be less inclined to do something um but then also the fact like you alluded to like 
no one is standing up for Jim Harbaugh or Michigan here. Right. Like everybody is going to, you know, submit whatever evidence they have to work yet. Like it's, this is not the hamburger thing. Like this is not the kind of thing where other coaches could be like, oh man, yeah, that's a stupid rule. Like I wouldn't want to get, I wouldn't want to get dinged on that either. Like this is something where there is proof that because no matter how you slice it, you can say like, oh, well, Mich- you, you can be a Michigan fan and take that lens and be like, oh, well, like, no, it wasn't the science dealing that turned us around. It was J.J. McCarthy and these new coordinators. And you can be like, okay, cool. The, the, you can't prove that. Like, look at the timeline. That, look that how also, this happened. Also, G, also, J.J. didn't start that first year where they turned yeah. it around. Cade McNamara did. Yeah. So it's like, no matter how you slice it, like, every coach is going to be able to point at this and say, this is how this helped them beat us on the field. Your only job in this role as you know the head of this conference is to make sure that the playing field is even in that sense. What are you going to do about it? Now, I think there is a very valid question as to ask, you know, would being would staying out of the Big Ten championship really affect Michigan? Like if if they were if they were to win and not make the championship, would that really affect their playoff chances anyway? Would the playoff well, committee like yeah. Would they well, say the no? The play- we don't want a part of this. I don't know. The the playoff committee could also say like we're not inviting them because yeah, very easily. for one reason or another if they want to. Yeah, totally. I I'm less sure how I feel about that. I'm I'm inclined to say that if the Big Ten were to say no, you're not eligible for the Big Ten championship, I'm inclined to say the playoff committee at that point would also do something similar, but. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are basically two forms of cheating in college football. There is the cheating, the kinds of cheating that literally everyone does. Like, mm-hmm. Nick, you and I, you would know baseball and hockey here um, better than I would. But I know in the NBA, the team that spends the most money is not always necessarily the team that. Uh, you know, that goes on to win the NBA championship. You, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's some bit of correlation between success and spending money. NFL, the team that spends the most money is not always the one that's successful. I know Major League Baseball, like, God, it was the Yankees, Mets, or the Red Sox. Like, they all missed the playoffs this year. The Dodgers, uh, you know, they crapped the bed. They went out uh, in the playoffs. I'm sure, is the NHL generally, like, is the te- are the teams the NHL that spend the most money usually? Uh, I mean, it's. I think whenever you're talking about a salary cap league, it's all. It's that yeah. argument is not doesn't hold as much water. Like, I, there's a small correlation, I'm sure, but it's not a sure thing. Yeah, in college football, recruiting is the th- the best indicator of future success. Usually, the best indicator of future success. Why we the blue chip ratio, all that. Recruiting, you get the best players in a lot of situations by being able to incentivize them to come to your program, and I. Like, even before NIL, when it was just handing bags of money over to kids. Like, there has always been a form of cheating that you could do in college football, and I think it says a lot that this specific form of cheating has resonated as strongly as it has among groups of cheaters, among teams, among uh, programs, etc., that do a form of cheating to one form, uh, to one uh, length or another. It was actually brought up our friend Ryan Donnelly uh, from the podcast, High Street Freaks made the point that, like, Ohio State has been in this situation before where when they played Clemson in the college football playoff, Clemson has a reputation for being the sign-stealing program. And all they did was went, cool, we're fine with this, we can adjust to this. This one is different in that now all the Big Ten teams are sending information to Indianapolis, to the Big Ten, to say, you need to do something about this because it's bad. And when the integrity of the game and your when your comp the comp competitive aspect of this is compromised because one team has a competitive advantage over everybody else that you just cannot have. That uh, I, I'm interested. So I would I would like to see the screws brought to Michigan uh, for a lot of reasons, namely that it would be funny. But like uh, it, it, it it's interesting. I I also think it's worth noting that we probably haven't heard more everything yet, and there is probably yeah. still more stuff to come out. And we're having this conversation now and not when that stuff's here. So we'll get to that. You know, I'm sure um, when it's time for Penn State to play Michigan, this will come up again. But I figured a, a nice little 15 minutes on that would be fun at all. In large part because we're going to be talking about Michigan as a football program um, as we go on in this podcast. And Nick, before we get to the Indiana game, I, I think it's good that we've had a few days 
to decompress, to think about Penn State football, to think about where it is after it lost to Ohio State. Again, 20 to 12 did the horseshoe uh, to move to 6 and 1 of the season. Only fell to 10th in the polls on the heels of that loss. And, Were you surprised by that? Um, A little bit. I was. Uh, yeah. I thought with how, em- how emphatic it was, with how embarrassing the manner in which they lost was. Mm-hmm. I, you look at the teams that are directly behind them in the polls. Oregon State has won three in a row, uh, two ranked wins against Utah and UCLA. Ole Miss has won three in a row with wins over LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn. Utah has won two in a row, including going into Los Angeles and uh, and really embarrassing uh, the guy that, for some reason, everyone decided was the greatest quarterback prospect of all time. So I was a little bit surprised that None of them were able to make that leap over Penn State. Uh, But, you know, as a result, Nick Penn State's a top 10 team. So just a general, I think a general vibe check right here is good. Again, after we've had some time to decompress, how are you feeling about things? Yeah, I I wouldn't say I feel all that different than I did when we recorded the recap. Um, I mean, again, like I I said on that last one, I was pretty level-headed at the time too, but it's, uh, I, um, I just, I'm more than anything... I'm just more fascinated than ever, I think, to see a non-Ohio State or Michigan game for Penn State, just because I'm really fascinated to see how they respond, both in terms of how they coach the game, in terms of how Drew Aller plays, in terms of uh-huh. if the wide receivers, you know, you know, play with their hair on fire, like they need to make a statement. Like, it's just a really... It's a really interesting place for the Penn State program because the same, like, the defense, I... And I this is kind of why I think they actually stuck at 10, I think, because the defense was so good. I think yeah. voters are probably like, well, you know, that defense probably is good enough to beat most teams. Um, so, yeah, it's... I, vibes I don't think are, like, great, right? You have you have yeah. these two important games, and you lost one of them, and you get lost it pretty badly despite what the scoreline says. But at the same time, like, you still have that defense to hang your hat on. You know there's talent on the offense still. It's just about can they fix it in time to, you know, make a statement over the this last portion of the schedule and hope that things break their way. So, I like, vibes aren't good, but I and, – and maybe it's just the hilarity of Michigan that's allowed it to kind of buoy back up a yeah. little bit into. But, like, I wouldn't say I feel like it's a – all hope is lost scenario. Yeah, it's interesting because I think the Ohio State game put so blatantly on display the flaws of this football team mm-hmm. that they they have to have to use these next two weeks to maybe not explicitly get ready for Michigan. Like they don't have to. Uh, you know, if they're facing a third and three against Maryland, I don't think they need to call, okay, call go with a, you know, okay, what will we call against Michigan here? We're going to call that play. We're just basically just going to practice it with live reps. I don't think that's yeah. quite right, but I think these next two weeks, I still don't think they're going to beat Michigan basically under any circumstances. I, uh, unless they get really good at running in plays from the sideline and huddling up. Um, I don't <laughs> think they're going to uh, beat Michigan, but uh, these next two weeks are crucial because Indiana is a team there. We'll talk about it in a sec. They're not going to have to break much of a sweat if they want to be. They should be able to walk to a win against Indiana, which gives them the flexibility to approach this game however they can, however they want to, work on whatever they want to, get better at whatever they want to, or just say, hey, listen, the most important thing is that we win after last week. We're just going to have Nick and Katron run for 4.3 yards per carry because why not and kind of the same with Maryland. Maryland the dynamics of that game are going to be a little bit different uh because it's in uh be, because it is in College Park but we'll get to that game in a, a bit but they also I hate don't know you, like so they, they also they also hate you it's their Super Bowl they're a clown shoes program that you should never take seriously or respect in any way shape or form you know all, all, all the normal stuff we would say uh, about uh Maryland but I don't know Nick like I almost feel, I don't want to say a sense of optimism, but like there's a little bit of excitement here, I would say, 
based on the fact that they can go out here these next couple of weeks and beat the opponent ahead of them, focus on the opponent ahead of them, but do stuff that we know they need to get better at if they want to beat that big test three weeks Saturdays from now. Yeah, I fully agree with that. I, like to put it bluntly, you can't really play a whole lot worse offensively than you did this past weekend. So it's it really only can and should be up from here in that regard. But you're right. Like it's it's every team every team gets knocked down at some point, and you have the chance to respond to it. And this is their chance to respond to it. And hopefully, you know, I think we're both optimistically hoping that that means it spurns on some, you know, real growth and real change in this offense. Um, The caveat, though, is that, you know, if they, like you said, like if they come out with the game plan of, yeah, let's just run for four yards of carry, let's throw three-yard passes and try to hold the ball for 38 minutes again. Like, if they do that against Indiana, even if they win, that optimism that optimism is going to be shot real quick because then it's, you know, then that just sends the message of, oh, okay, well, uh, oh, all right, this is just what we're doing this year, I guess. Right. Bummer. You're, you're, sleep, you're sleepwalking into an ass whooping, basically. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we'll we'll talk about how the Indiana game presents an opportunity for them to start working on some stuff that they've maybe been a little bit hesitant to work on. But before we do that, Nick, I think we got to talk about something else pertaining to Indiana, Mm. uh, pertaining to the Indiana Hoosiers. And that would be the podcast longtime sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Yes, it's uh, been our sponsor since we decided to go podcast. It'll be the nothing but great to us, nothing but great to Penn State fans, uh, with one major exception. And that is their insistence on posting the picture of Michael Penix being ruled in uh, in the 2020 season. Uh, when he clearly was not, and Indiana just caught a break over Penn State football. Nick, say something about home field apparel. <laughs> I was going to say something about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or say something about that. Who cares, man? It's it, it came across my timeline again the other day, and I don't I don't remember the context, but it was, and I just I literally sat there for I think like five full minutes just playing it and freezing it, playing it and freezing, it, and t- I it breaks my brain that. Oh, the bottom part of the ball hits the ground before it breaks the plate. So clearly, if he was ruled short on that play, if he was ruled short and then they went to look at it, it's stances called on the field. Whatever yes. they called was getting stances called. I mean, I guess it was. It seemed so clear to me, regardless. But anyway, home field they make great stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently wearing one of my favorite bits of. Um, you know, home field apparel. Uh, my Happy Valley uh, T-shirt, one of my favorite cl- pieces of their collection. Something that I wear, you know, seemingly every single week. They have plenty of stuff in their collection that it seems like I wear every single week. They have a little bit of everything for any uh, Penn State fan, whether it's T-shirts, long sleeve shirts, a bo- new bomber jacket, joggers. You name it, they have it. It's worth your time. It's worth your money. And if you have never given them money before, you can use the promo code RLR23 to get 15% off of your first order. Again, the promo code is RLR23 for 50% off of your first order if you're a new customer to Homefield Barrel. Thank you, as always, to Homefield for sponsoring this podcast. And now let's get to talking about the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, Connor, uh, the uh, founder of Homefield, is an Indiana Hoosier, and that has not been fun this year. <laughs> Excuse me, the team is 2-5 uh, and five on the season, 0-4 oh in conference play. Uh, they haven't been especially competitive uh, in their conference games, uh, the Hoosiers are coming off of a loss last week to Rutgers, where they lost 31 to 14, and uh, you know made Rutgers bowl eligible. So good for Ru- good for Rutgers, Rutgers yeah. I suppose. Uh, but it, it's been a team that I've watched them a little bit, Nick, just because I watch a little bit of every team on Penn State schedule, and it really is stunning to me. For how much fun and optimism there seemed to be around Tom Allen's program in after that 2020 season, they just look like nobody wants to be there. Yeah, I the only the only time I really have watched them this year was actually the Akron game. They won 29-27 in four overtimes. Um, they just 
yeah, it, it's so strange because typically teams take on the personality of their coach. And like Tom Allen has not changed the way he coaches. He is not, he's still this super enthusiastic guy. And I guess their defense isn't awful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not good, it, it, it's but not. it's not. Uh, I like... will just say uh, Indiana, uh, 95th in SP plus, 99th offensively, 86th defensively, 58th Ugh. on special teams. Yeah. Oh, just so, wait until we actually get into the numbers that I have accrued for this. Like, they are <laughs> miserable. But yeah, like so, it, it's 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 strange to not see them at least like, and 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 even like week one against Ohio State, like even then, like they were at least flying around defensively, like they were hitting hard, like they that felt Tom Allenish. But since then, it's just like they they've just been hit with too many knockout blows and they're, they're just, they've lost the plot. Like, it's just no, like you said, no one wants to be there. It, it just doesn't seem like anyone's really happy to be an Indiana Hoosier playing football right now. Yeah. They uh, fired their offensive coordinator, Walt Bell at the beginning of the month and replaced him with uh, offensive line coach, Rod Carey, former head coach at Northern Illinois and Temple. But before, and let's just kind of dive into what we're looking for when Penn State's defense is on the field against Indiana's offense. Nick, Indiana decided uh, to go full-time to uh, Brendan Soresby as their starting quarterback after splitting time between him uh, and Taven Jackson. Uh, Jackson had a bit of a habit for giving the football to the other team. Soresby hasn't quite done that this year and last week against Rutgers 15 for 31 126 yards 4.1 yards per attempt one touchdown uh and didn't take any sacks he played up against Penn State last season uh got I believe uh a little bit of excitement you might have started that game uh three for six eight yards one interception and two sacks like I I can't see a way that Penn State does anything other than unhinge their jaw and consume indiana's offense yeah the i think the main thing that i want to see is just how they go about replacing uh chop robinson by all accounts it sounds like he's certainly not going to be ready to play this week um it sounds like it's at least going to be a multi-week thing we'll see um so i yeah i'm interested to see how you know is it all just denied dennis sutton or is it a mix of Dennis Sutton and Vanover and Fisher. All uh, actually, worth, did worth, Vanover worth, get hurt? Worth, yeah, worth mentioning. Uh, James Franklin said Chop Robinson and I mean Vanover statuses are unclear for um, unclear for Saturday. Yeah, so you know maybe more Zariah Fisher, maybe more Jameel Lyons as well. Like there's some interesting names there. So I'm just curious to see how they fill that role. But yeah, I mean overall, like I. It's not like we need to see anything new from the Penn State defense. What they're doing is incredible. Um, I guess it'd be nice to see Kalen King have another uh, have a nice uh, bounce back week after having to go up against Marvin Harrison. Um, obviously, a much less prolific passing game this week. So, just honestly, yeah, just more of the same, and you know, find ways to keep the pass rush productive. Yeah, I mean, they have a couple of nice players, a wide receiver in Cam Camper and Donovan McCulley. Uh, McCulley, I believe, was a four-star quarterback recruit who decided he wanted to play wide receiver after a year being a quarterback. It was very weird. Uh, and their uh, running backs of Jalen Lucas and Christian Turner uh, are, you know, kind of road grader types. Neither of them have uh, really broken out a long run, which, you know, they're... Lucas's longest run is longer than Nick Singleton's longest run. So that's Oof. that's uh, nice. And Soresby can run uh, a little bit. I think that's probably why he's starting. He just adds a little bit of a dimension with his legs. But yeah, every, everything for me comes down to the fact that you look at the numbers on Indiana's offense. Three yards a carry as a team, that's 117th nationally. 5.7 yards per attempt, that is 119th nationally. A quarterback mm-hmm. is sacked on 57. 5.7, sorry, percent of dropbacks in this 57th nationally. Their team passer rating is 107.3, 119th nationally. And in one of the great black marks on a conference of college football, there are somehow three Big Ten teams that are worse at passer rating than the team that is in 119th in their own conference. Yes. So, I this is the kind of game where Whatever Penn State wants to do, Penn State has the opportunity to kind of establish itself. Indiana, it's going to be like, uh, I think, very similar, Nick, to the Northwestern game, where 
Indiana is going to have one drive, maybe two drives, where they're just able to move the ball a little bit and annoy Penn State's defense. Play tempo, you get into a rhythm, you do what you have to do, and next thing you know, Indiana has a first and goal from Penn State's nine-yard line, and they kind of got to wake up. For me, the important thing in this game is that Penn State's defense, you know, Penn State's offense basically doesn't make it so Penn State's defense has to work especially hard. I think the big thing here is Penn State's defense is just going to be able to impose itself. Penn State's defensive line is going to be able to get home. Their linebackers are going to be able uh, to attack this running game, these receivers, whomever. The cornerbacks are going to win frequently. I it's really hard for me to find too much of anything I want to say about this side of the football because it's the other side of the football that's so important for us. Yeah, it's uh, like if anything, I would maybe even expect the Penn State defense to come out a little angrier than normal just because yeah. they're pissed that they lost last week, even though I'm I, I'm sure they know it wasn't their fault. Um, like any yeah. reasonable per- any reasonable person could deduce that. But um, yeah, it's... There's not really there's not anything we need to see from the defense. That's not where the story is. Yeah, the story is on the other side of the football, which is Penn State's offense going up against a very bad Indiana defense. And Nick, before we talk about Penn State's offense this week, one thing that you did was you went back and you looked at Penn State's final drive against Ohio State. And a lot of us, myself included, kind of pushed that, you know, push that narrative or of that belief, whatever you want to say that Ohio State just kind of took their foot off the gas. And would you agree with that description of Penn State's final drive in its game against Ohio State, which was Penn State's only touchdown drive uh, of the day, the Nittany Lions, 12 plays, 73 yards, and 212? Or do you think there was something that actually like caught your attention and made you think, hey, you know what, maybe there's something to build off here? I, you know, like I, I went, I went back and watched actually the last two drives. Um, and honestly, okay. it was, it was very different than what Ohio state had been doing earlier in the game. Like fewer guys in the box, much less, pretty much no press coverage at any point. Like they were playing very off the receivers. Um, but I will say, so like it, from the, from a defense, from a standpoint of like, should we be should we expect more from the Penn State offense just because of how, literally how they performed? I don't think so because the Ohio State defense totally changed its tactics. But the one thing that they did do is that they actually threw over the middle of the field a little bit at the end of the game. Like Dante Cephas caught one over the middle. Um, Caden Saunders' touchdown was over the middle. So even though it was a different looking defense, maybe just the fact that Drew was able to kind of see the ball leave his hands towards the middle of the field will be something that they can build on, even knowing that, you know, going forward, coverage is going to be tighter. There's going to be linebackers, like maybe more aggressively dropping into lanes, stuff like that. But just, it, it's kind of one of those things that I wonder, you know, it's it's what we talked about, you know, the lack of easy stuff for Drew early in the last game, like he never got into a rhythm. Maybe those throws were something that he can build on and use that to help get into a rhythm faster in this one. It's interesting because yeah, give me give me give me just one second. Um <laughs> I, I am now being aware that, uh, just to go back to further reporting on a previous matter, TC, from Ross Dellinger of Yahoo, oh, yes. TCU coaches learned from other staffs about Michigan's elaborate sign stealing before the CFP semifinal. TCU changed signs but used quote-unquote dummy, parentheses old, signs to trick the Wolverines, coaches tell Yahoo Sports. TCU players were told to ignore the dummy signs. Michigan's scheme was so widespread among coaches that one told TCU staff before the game, they have the most elaborate sign stealing in the history of the world. <laughs> one, t- one TCU coach, you can see the sheet Stallions is holding with our signs. I'm like, God, that is so good. Uh, okay. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was I, I wanted to make Nick laugh. Uh, but to go back to what you were saying, like it, it's the comparison that I made 
on our last pod to basketball, where you just try and get your guy to the free throw line so he could see a couple go in, or a guy tries to get the free throw line so he could see a couple go in, and it's something he's able to build on. And I think that in Drew Aller, the hope is that he saw a couple of passes get completed. He was able to throw in rhythm to a couple of guys in Dante Cephas and Caden Saunders who could end up being, who, if Penn State wants to accomplish something this season, they need one of them to give them some sort of level of consistency mm-hmm. at wide receiver. And the good news about Indiana specifically, you know, and, and kind of going off that game, the book is out, out on Drew Allen. If you now know what you need to do if you want to make his life difficult. And for all you can say about how bad Indiana's defense is, and don't you worry I'm about to say all the ways that Indiana's defense is really bad, Tom Allen is going to coach them up, have a good game plan to put a ton of pressure on uh, on Drew Aller. I, I want to give a stat that comes from our pals over at, the hardcore Penn State football podcast, but Indiana is allowing 4.66 yards per carry, uh, uh, according to uh, Corey and Sean. They're going to be stacking the box. They're going to be trying to throw a lot at Drew Aller, Mm -hmm. and they are going to say, Drew, you got to win this game with your arm. And to me, Nick, that is the ideal scenario for Penn State, is Drew Aller has to win this football game. Well, not even has to win this football game. Drew Aller has to use his arm and beat Indiana for three, three and a half, four quarters, whatever he is in in this football game. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, normally normally this would be a time in the season, you know, and considering the opponent where you would typically expect <laughs> Penn State or whoever was playing this game to take it easy. But that's not what they need right now. Like, they need the offense to find a rhythm and they need to they need to find a rhythm as if they are playing against a team that is not Indiana. So I like it's I mm-hmm. I totally agree. Like it is yes, like in many ways Indiana is the perfect team to be here, right? Because they're going to do some stuff that is mm-hmm. you know going to try to confuse Drew and they're going to try to throw everything they can at, can at him, but they're not good enough to you know in all likelihood they're not good enough to do anything to majorly threaten Penn State if for no other reason than their offense is not going to be able to do anything against the Penn State defense. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's honestly in many ways it's perfect because you can tell Drew, like, hey, we need you to go make some plays to set us up for the rest of the year. And, you know, Tom Allen, for even though this team is not, it's, it's probably going to be his last as a head coach for a while now, but he knows how to coach guys up and he's going to have them ready to at least make Drew's life slightly more difficult yeah and they have uh they, they have a good defensive back in philip dunham who i think uh who, who i think is going to be tra- trailing uh keandre lambert smith quite a bit and it is going to be um you know in a way having drew test him is going to be a good thing but some stats on indiana's defense that i think kind of highlight what this game is going to be they allow 7.7 yards per attempt through the air which is 82nd nationally Opposing quarterbacks have a passer rating of 141.5 against them, which is 92nd nationally. They get about 1.5 sacks per game, which is 103rd nationally. Opposing quarterbacks complete about 63.16% of their passes against them, which is 97th nationally. They allow 5.1 yards for us, which is 110th nationally, 6.1 yards per uh, yards per pl- uh, pass, which is, oh wait, no, uh, 6.1 yards per play, which is 110th nationally, and 0.8 takeaways per game, which is 114th nationally. So they don't get to the quarterback, they don't take the football away from you, and they let you move the ball against them. That normally means your defense. Yeah, that means your defense is not And for Drew Aller, for Mike Yursich, for Penn State's wide receivers who, uh, for Penn, I'm not worried about Penn State's backs. I, I would almost enjoy it if Nick Singleton and Katron Allen combined for like 12 carries in this football game. Mm. But earlier this week, James Franklin said, according to Nate Bauer of Blue White Illustrated, we're behind in the passing game. I think we've shown some flashes. I think Trey's injury when we didn't have a whole lot of proven guys before that. I think some guys that have kind of come in have transitioned a little bit slower than we have hoped. But this is an opportunity to take a step this week and build confidence moving forward. I think there are guys in that room that have the ability to do the job and do the job at a high level. It's about consistently physically, but it's also consistency mentally. And Nick, if they can't this week, 
even kind of show a bit of a step forward with Drew Aller being able to simultaneously take a bit of a step forward, get into a rhythm, start completing passes, start throwing into some tighter windows, start taking throws that are a little bit riskier than he has been willing to throw. Start using the middle of the field, particularly down the seams a bit more than he has been willing to with guys like Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. And put your receivers in positions where they have to win and can win one-on-ones. Like, I would rather Penn State puts up 24 points, but they take a noticeable step forward doing that stuff than Penn State puts up 45 points, but it's just another plotting game on the ground where they decide the most important thing is holding Drew Aller's hand and not letting him make a mistake. Yeah, the score does not matter to me this week. It's yes, completely an an aesthetic thing about how does the offense look because like even even if you're not somebody who takes the the only thing that matters is the playoff approach. Like mm-hmm. the you know, if Penn State wants to be and I guess I say, like, I guess beating Michigan isn't necessary to go to a nice bowl game just because of the way things lay out. They'd still have a great shot at being 10 and 2, yada, yada. But, like, everything about the rest of this season is going to come down to how they look against Michigan. And how they look against Michigan is going to start with how they look on Saturday against Indiana. So, yeah, you're right. Like, I, I could care less if they win this game. They could win this game 17 to. 10 for all I care as long as the offense like looks like a team well maybe not 17 maybe that's an exaggeration yeah I, I know what you, I know I know what you mean yeah I, I just I just want to see an offense that looks like a unit that can reasonably go out there and get stuff done against the top defenses in the country because that is what Penn State is aiming to be so like that's that's what I want to see you need to get better at the stuff that you're not good at yeah and if you're not going to use this game to do that after you basically punted on trying to do that against Illinois, Iowa, uh, and Illinois, Iowa, and Northwestern. Uh, what are you going for? I mean, Drew Aller against Illinois through 33 passes. Katron Allen and Nick Singleton combined to run it 24 times. Drew ran another six times on top of that. Iowa drew through 37 passes. Allen and Singleton combined for 38 runs, then obviously Drew ran it eight times. A lot of QB sneaks were thrown into that. Northwestern drew through it 33 times. Singleton and Allen ran it 27 times. Aller had eight runs attributed to him in that. They've looked for balance and know have known that they could lean on that running game. And I think that's an important point for this game, which is that, yeah, if for some reason things go belly up and your quarterback is just having a nightmare for some reason, at home, which he just he hasn't had those sorts of nightmare games at home. You can then lean on your running bit game, but to get to where you want to go, everything depends on this quarter. And against an Indiana team that is going to be well coached, is going to know what they want to do. Uh, they have a good linebacker uh, in Aaron Casey, who I think is going to, uh, you know, it's going to be a bit of a chess match for Drew against him particularly in this one, you're just going to need to be able to go out there as the starting quarterback for the Pennsylvania State University and the Lions and perform in a way that you have shown in flashes that you're capable of, but you haven't really been able to. And Nick, when we go, I have, you weren't able to in your last game out there. And Nick, when you start with the players you're watching the most closely in this game, like number one, two, and three is Drew Aller, obviously. Who are you looking for beyond him? As we go into this football game, I think beyond him, the spot on the field, <clears throat> I'll word it as what I'm looking at most sure. is um, Tyler Warren slash third enter name of third receiver here. Like whoever that, assuming that Theo Johnson is typically pretty much always on the field, not always necessarily running routes. So um, whoever is that slot receiver, third receiver, or the second tight end, and sometimes Theo could be involved in that too, but like, we have a you know generally good idea of what Keandre Lambert Smith is. He's explosive. He can get the ball in his hands. He's not gonna you know be an overly physical presence to everyone, but you know what he is. Trey Wallace, like we when healthy, we've seen generally what he is. He's a smooth dude. Like he's, he's not gonna run away from everyone, but he can make most of the catches you ask him to. 
but someone's got to step up as the other option, whether it's, you know, Tyler Warren's been great in the red zone, hasn't been asked to do a ton of much else in the open field. Um, so whether it's him, whether it's Liam Clifford, who certainly didn't help his cause with a couple drops against Ohio State, whether it's a guy like Caden Saunders, who finally got a chance with a little bit more extended run, made two, you know, nice plays getting open and caught his first touchdown, whether it's, um, you know, maybe we see like Malik Mega or not Malik Mega, uh, Malik McLean all of a sudden step back on the field somehow. Um, uh, or, you know, maybe it's Dante Cephas, whoever it is, like somebody else has to step up and, you know, whoever that is could theoretically become a more usable or notable option than Trey Wallace, you know, especially if Trey is still, um, not a hundred percent, but like somebody <laughs> who is going to primarily operate over the middle of the field has to do something. Yeah. I, it's literally anyone who catches passes. I don't care who it is. I don't care who can start to use this game as a way to build momentum going forward. It can even be literally Nick, if it is just, we are finding creative ways to get the ball into the hands of Nick Singleton and Katron Allen in the passing game. Yeah. I will take that at this point. Like, I just need to see a Penn State offense that has an element of explosiveness that has guys who are Kate, who are able to be consistent options for Aller. And I need to see them put themselves in positions where, or, or run into positions where, run routes into positions where, make plays in positions where Aller just hasn't been comfortable looking. Like, when... When you're not throwing the ball in the middle of the field, you are basically making the life a million times easier for the defense because they can then just filter everything out to the sidelines where they have that extra defender in the sideline. Mm -hmm. That has been like, like, I can't even think of how many times, you know, I didn't track it or anything like that, but our was, it seemed like he was almost exclusively trying to throw to guys outside the hashes, outside the numbers against Ohio State. And it just did not work. It also and, takes away the best advantage that his uh, arm offers him. Like his uh, his arm offers him the ability to throw those 15, 20 yard out routes exactly. to the sideline that normal quarterbacks can't throw. But when you know that's all you got to defend, you can defend it easily. Exactly. And adding that little element of not being so predictable in your passing game adding that little element of being able to do more stuff in the passing game than the opposing team wants you to do, it, that would be gigantic. We want to talk about why Nick Singleton's long run on the year is 20 yards, Katron Allen's 18, Nick Singleton is averaging 4.2 yards per carry, Nick's, uh, Katron Allen's at 4.6, and these two blue-chip running backs are basically out here looking like you know, the 2021 season where it was Kayvon Wee and John Lovett plodding forward. That's a big reason why. Nick, Penn State has had one guy run for 100 yards in a game this year. It was Katron Allen running for 103 against Delaware. Yeah. And it is yeah. almost all because they have no, you know, teams are taking seriously their threat of throwing the football. For this Penn State offense to be what it wants to be, it has to be able to do that more effectively. It has to get away from, we're just trying for four yards in a cloud of dust. It has to be an offense that has that element to it. And it just hasn't so far this year. It has to figure that out in these next couple of weeks or else they're losing to Michigan. They're going to be in dog fights against Maryland and Rutgers and they'll beat Indiana and Michigan State because those teams are bad. But with Indiana, noon kick on CBS in Happy Valley. It looks like it might be a little bit of a rainy day. Line is Penn State by 30, 32-point favorites over under a 46 what are you thinking in this this one, Nick? What do you think happens? Do you think Penn State covers that spread? And uh, do you think the backups get in in the third quarter? I don't know about third quarter. I'd say the backups probably play most of the fourth quarter. Um, I think Penn State ends up winning something like 48-10, to 10, maybe, something like that. Um, I do think they'll put up plenty of points just because we know that they can put up plenty of points, even if they do none of the things that we've talked about wanting them to do offensively. Um, I think the more interesting question for the prediction is terms of like, how will we feel afterwards? And I'm going to go with where like 
70% of the way satisfied with what we see from the offense. Um, like, I think we'll see some flashes. I don't know that we're going to see as much as we want to, but I think, you know, James Franklin and Mike Yersich aren't stupid. They know what they need to do in order to um, have a hope at beating Michigan. So I do think we see some changes um, just in overall how the offense operates in this one. Yeah, I, I'm going to go something like Penn State 45, Indiana 3. I like. I, I do not think Indiana is any good. I think the Penn State's going to be able to get whether it's a direct defensive touchdown or a touchdown that is ginned up by the defense, making a big play, setting them up in good field position, that sort of thing. But I, I almost don't want them to one drive into the second quarter, third quarter. They start, they just put all the backups in. I want the ones to get as much reps trying to figure things out as they possibly can. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say that, but in the fourth quarter, yes, they make the move to to Bo Perbula and the twos to the backup. Maybe, you know, maybe on the defensive line, it's a little bit different just because of Chop Robinson and Amin Vanover being hurt. But for the most part, I think they need to take this game seriously and as close to 60 minutes of an opportunity to get better as possible. I will say this. If we're hopping on here on Sunday and they won, you know, 56 to 3, and Drew Auer has 165 yards, completed 71% of his passes, you know, 5.9 yards per attempt and one touchdown, I'm going to be furious. I am going be to be great. furious. Yeah. You, this game has to be an opportunity for him, him to see that he can bounce back from adversity and be a great quarterback at the absolute bare minimum. Anything beyond that is just like, it, it, it's useless at that point. Like, yeah. Uh, useless. Uh, yeah. This, but yeah, this week is that, the yeah. this week is the first steps towards really building for next year, even, I think. Like next year, the team overall is going to be worse because the defense is gonna lose a lot lose a lot of pieces, and that's you know, that's the driver of the team right now. Like next year you're going to need Drew Aller to be the one to elevate the rest of the team. So this is step one for that. Yeah. So Drew Hour, if you're listening to this podcast, we have nothing but faith in you, and we want you to go out there and put on a show this weekend. Because that increases the likelihood, then, that you will, one, light up Maryland, which is always funny, and two, light up, not even light up Michigan, just have a good game against Michigan. Because, like, they can beat Michigan if Drew Hour is, you know, throws for 250 yards, three touchdowns, and doesn't look like a show. So, but that's for yeah. a little bit farther down the road. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts before we send the people into their weekend? I... Very much look forward to whatever new details of the Michigan saga we learn tonight. God, I can't wait to read. Uh, the, Ian, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network uh, actually just uh, quote tweeted it and said, the story keeps on giving one a hilarious scheme. And if Rapsheet is saying that, you know it's uh, But thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Royal Eyes Roar. As always, make sure you go and subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go leave us a five-star review. If you use Spotify, please go leave us five stars over there and use that Q&A feature so we can uh, talk about the things that you guys all send in. Hop on over to YouTube, hop into the comments section, talk about Penn State football with fellow Penn State fans and fans of other teams when they decide to make their way over and make sure you're subscribing to us over there. Follow us on Twitter at RLR blog and make sure, once again, if you want anything from home field apparel, use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order if you were a first-time customer. One last time, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.